Well, it is my privilege once again to meditate on the Word of God with you today, and so I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 2, in verses 42 through 47, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, Today we're going to finish up our little series uh, called Brothers and Sisters. Uh, We've been exploring uh, what that means for us to be brothers and sisters in the context of uh, the body of Christ, in the context of church. We've uh, been hearing a lot lately about how we're better together. Uh, Pastor John introduced this idea to us uh, a month or two ago. Uh, and in fact, we saw a beautiful display of that on Friday night, didn't we? Uh, when we got together and, uh, and uh, put on this event down in the park where uh, we used all of our talents and gifts working together uh, to present the gospel to the community. And it was a beautiful, beautiful time. And, uh, uh, and we pray, of course, that that uh, will touch the hearts and lives of the people who were there and maybe some who heard the gospel in a way that uh, struck them uh, in a way that they have never heard before. And then at the beginning of the month, you and I looked at the relationships of Romans chapter 16 and how even though we're from all kinds of different walks of life, we're uh, from different places, we're, uh, we have different occupations, we have different interests, uh, but we have all been made one in Christ and therefore we are brothers and sisters and therefore uh, we strive uh, to... Uh, to have deep and intimate relationships with each other as we uh, walk our walk with the Lord. And uh, these relationships that we have within the context of this body are based in our unity in Christ. And then Pastor Kavakas showed us a couple weeks ago how we glorify our God with one voice in Romans chapter 15. And the message that we speak with one voice is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. And then last week, you and I meditated on John chapter 13 together in the passage where Jesus commands us to love each other in the same way that he has loved us. And that, of course, is sacrificially. And so that kind of sacrificial love becomes uh, really the key component to our testimony to the world. And in fact, we demonstrated that again on Friday night because not only did we, the people of Warrington Bible Fellowship, go down to the park, but we joined hands with Mount Zion Baptist Church, with Heritage Presbyterian Church, with Trinity Lutheran Church, and we proclaimed with one voice the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, each of our churches has a little different approach to things. Some of us do church differently, and uh, we've got different opinions about some of the non-essentials of the faith. But what we do agree on is who Jesus Christ is and what he did, and that the only way to salvation is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we got to see this kind of love in action as we helped one another, as we served each other so that we could serve our community together. And so as we've examined this of what it means for us to be brothers and sisters, I I hope you're starting to, to really understand that the church is not just an event that happens once a week. Church isn't what happens on Sunday morning and then we leave it behind. Church is a whole lot more than that. I hope, I hope we're realizing that, that church is not an it, but a who, namely you and me. I hope that we're 
realizing that church means committed relationships built upon our relationship with Christ. Now, I remember the old nursery rhyme that my mom taught me, and I imagine your mother taught it to you as well. You know, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors and out come the people, right? And that's very true, isn't it? But I don't think that goes far enough. It, it, it's not far enough just simply to say that the church isn't just a building, but it's people. Because church is more than just a group of people, too. Church is a whole lot more than that. Church is, church is the gospel in action. Church is, is people's lives being changed. Church is, is changed people who are worshiping the God who has changed them. Church is people ministering to each other in Jesus Christ. Church is people carrying the light of the gospel into the darkness. And this is exactly what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to take a look in, in, in our passage today at the very first Christian church. The, the, the moment when the church as we know it began. And what we're going to find is that what was going on among those believers ought to be true of us today. And so uh, as we begin to look into this, we need to look in as well to a little background so that we can better understand our passage before we read it in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Luke is the one who wrote the, the book of Acts. He wrote this as a sequel to his gospel. Uh, at the very beginning of Luke, uh, Luke uh, tells a man named Theophilus, who he's writing to, why he's writing. He's writing so that he might have certainty about Jesus Christ. And so, of course, that we might have that same kind of certainty. And so Luke wrote uh, his gospel to convey the, the events and the teachings of Jesus' life. And then he wrote Acts so that we can have certainty as well uh, about the response to the gospel of Christ and also the events of the early church. And so Acts begins with the disciples watching Jesus rise bodily into heaven. This amazing event where Jesus goes into heaven. He ascends uh, to go into heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And the angels who were there uh, promised the disciples that someday he's going to return in the same day. We have that to look forward to. Jesus is coming back bodily to gather his church unto himself. And then the next thing we see in Acts is the 11 disciples, since Judas was no longer with them. He had betrayed uh, the Lord and actually uh, killed himself uh, uh, not long after that. Uh, so we, we follow now the 11 disciples. They go back to the upper room where they had uh, had the Last Supper with Jesus before his crucifixion. And, and look, what it, look what Luke records in the 14th verse of Acts chapter 1. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were united. They were in full accord with each other. Uh, there was no dissension among them. And then, uh, because they lacked a twelfth disciple in the pattern that Jesus had, had uh, started uh, with the disciples, uh, they... they, uh, uh, they find a new disciple and his name is Matthias and they they choose him by lots and in those days uh, people would would make some decisions this way they would uh, allow the Lord to to uh, be sovereign in this decision and so whoever got the won the, the lottery in, in this sense uh, would become the disciple and this man 
was Matthias. And so uh, then at the beginning of chapter 2, we see something remarkable, don't we? We see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see him come in power upon 120 followers of Christ, including those 12 disciples. You see, Jesus had promised to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes with power. And he, uh, he uh, uh, comes upon these believers, and they begin speaking in the languages of the, the unbelievers who were looking on. They, these are people from all over the world who were looking on. And all of a sudden, they're hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own language by people who don't know naturally how to speak those languages. And so the Holy Spirit has come upon these people. And then, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter uh, preaches an amazing sermon to an audience primarily of Jews. And he wraps up this sermon in verse 36 of chapter 2 by saying this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, there's that certainty again, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And then in verse 38, he tells them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then Luke sums all of this up in verse 41. And he says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God to change our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, to change us from people who hate God to people who love God and want to devote their lives to God through their Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exactly uh, what our passage today is about because our passage comes right after this statement about 3,000 souls being won to Christ. And this passage is about the fledgling church. There are only 3,120 Christians in the world at this point. That's not even the number of Christians probably this morning who are worshiping here in Warrington. And so the church is fledgling, uh, but it's under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so as we turn to our passage, as we, as we start to dig into this passage, uh, what Luke is wanting us to understand is this, that united in Christ and filled with the Spirit, the first believers were fully committed to Christ and His gospel. But not only that, they were fully committed to each other. And not only that, they were fully committed to sharing the gospel. In other words, full commitment to Christ, full commitment to each other, full commitment to spreading the gospel is the true mark, the mark of a, of a true Christian church. All of those three things need to be taken together. That describes a true Christian church, one that is committed to Christ, committed to one another, and committed to sharing the gospel, to spreading the good news to anybody who will listen. And so the lesson that we can glean from this is that we too are called to be fully committed, not only as the body of Christ, but also individually. 
So we're called to be fully committed personally and as a church in these three ways, fully committed. And so the natural question arises, are you fully committed? Am I fully committed? Am I fully committed to Christ, to, to you, and to sharing the gospel? Are you? Are you? Are you fully committed to this body of believers? Are you fully committed to making sure that unbelievers hear the good news? And so with those questions in mind, let me, uh, let me read our passage for us, and then we'll, then we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. Beginning in verse 42 of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Well, as we look at verse 42... Uh, we see four things that characterize the new church. These are things that uh, they constantly pursue in their commitment to Christ and to each other and ultimately uh, their commitment to spread the gospel, to share Jesus Christ uh, with the world. And so in verse 42, the first thing that they're devoted to is the apostles' teaching. And there's no mistake that this comes first in the passage because we don't know who Christ is unless we understand uh, what God says about who he is and what, about, and, and what Christ says about who he is. And so they're studying their scriptures. That is the Old Testament. There was no New Testament. Uh, the apostles are about to speak it and write it themselves uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so... Uh, when we look at P Peter's sermon earlier in chapter 2, what we see is a beautiful exposition of the Old Testament to prove who Christ is. And then, of course, Peter being an apostle, somebody who had w uh, been around when Jesus was on earth, he also, uh, the Holy Spirit was bringing to his mind and the minds of the other apostles, the the. Uh, the, uh, these are people who used to be the, called disciples. Now we call them apostles because they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so remembering what Jesus had taught them and they're connecting that with the Old Testament scriptures. Now the word apostle in the Greek means to be sent, to be a messenger. And in this case, of course, to be a messenger of God, to be sent by God. And so uh, these men, these 12 men originally, later on there are uh, more apostles, but, but uh, these 12 men are under a, a uh, uh, a special blessing of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak with authority about what God says. They are, in effect, God's mouthpiece. 
And now another uh, requirement for uh, an apostle, to, to, uh, for apostleship, was that, that um, these 12 uh, had to be witnesses of the resurrected Christ. It wasn't just that they were witnesses of Christ when he walked the earth, but also they were witnesses of the resurrected Christ. And so uh, through that, uh, the Holy Spirit has anointed them uh, uh, in a special way for this task. Now, we, of course, know that every single believer, when we, the moment we're saved, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. But these apostles are, uh, are again, they, they are specially anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the mouthpiece of God. And so what they say carries the weight of Scripture. They are speaking as if God is speaking. And so these believers devoted themselves to the revelation of Christ through the apostles' teachings as the apostles showed them Christ from Scripture. This would be a remarkable time to be in. I would have loved to have been there to hear their teaching firsthand. But you know what? Today we're still devoted to the apostles' teaching because the apostles' teaching is what's found in the New Testament. The whole New Testament is the apostles' teaching. Uh, so we have the written record of what they said, what they did, and what they wrote. And so it's through this kind of devotion that we demonstrate our commitment to God. It's when we're committed to God that we go to Bible studies. We, because of our commitment to God, we're here today, and we want to know what He's saying to us. We want to hear from God. And the way that we do that is by digging deep into the Word of God because we hang on every single word that God has ever said. Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so that's why we're devoted to the apostles' teaching today too. We're also, of course, devoted to the, to the teaching of the prophets and the, uh, uh, the other writers of the Old Testament. There's many, many authors uh, who were inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, throughout history. Uh, and the result is the Bibles that we hold in our hands. Praise be to God, because our God has revealed himself to us. And so uh, this should be a great comfort to us all. Well, the second thing that we see in verse 42 is that believers were devoted to the fellowship, okay? They were devoted to the fellowship. They, they, uh, uh, the fellowship was something they did all the time is another way of putting it. And so the word for fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. And in the Greek, it has the sense of participation. You see, this isn't just a group of people. There is participation in a fellowship. Uh, it means to be in communion with other people, to be in close relationship with them, and to have in common with them. And so we are Warrington Bible Fellowship. We are Warrington Bible Koinonia, right? Koinonia. And so this means that we are a people who participate in the gospel together. It means that we have a real relationship with the living God. And because of that living relationship, we also have uh, living and real relationships with each other in this body. And so we hold each other accountable. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. We hold each other up. Uh, we meet with each other. We get to know each other. We invest the time that it takes to do all of these things because we love our Lord. 
And therefore, we love one another and we want to uh, be a part of each other's lives. And so we find that the, er, these first believers uh, were very committed to one another. And this is an example for all of us. This is an example uh, that uh, sets the tone that we do need to make that investment of time. But the result of that investment, this isn't a burden. They're, they're not going around going, oh man, I got to meet with some more believers today. Shucks. You know, they're not saying that. They're excited. They're excited to be together. They can't wait to be together. And so, this is an example for us all. And what ends up happening, the blessing of this kind of fellowship, of this kind of commitment to each other, is that it does bless us all for the glory of God. Look what, uh, we'll get to that in a second, but uh, third, the third thing that in the early church is that they were devoted to the breaking of bread together. You know what, I got ahead of myself. I'm going to jump back. I thought Ephesians was coming next, and I went there, and it really was coming next. So here we go. In Ephesians, that's what I was looking for. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, uh, is uh, the blessing of what happens when we are in fellowship with each other and when we have uh, this commitment to one another. Uh, Paul writes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up uh, in love. And so you see, um, there's a great blessing for all of us when we fulfill that commitment to one another, this loving, enthusiastic commitment to be a part of each other's lives, to love each other, to pray for each other, uh, to be together. And so now we can go on to the third thing that we find in verse uh, 42, and how they uh, were devoted to the breaking of bread together. This was a, a common practice of the early church. Uh, they shared meals together on a regular basis, just, you know, regular meals like our potlucks and, and uh, our blocks. These are fellowship meals. Uh, but uh, meet once a month or so, they met uh, oftentimes several times a week, if not every single day. And for these first believers, we get the sense that they were meeting constantly. This was an ongoing thing. Uh, the, the, there was never a break in their uh, sharing meals together. Now, very often in those days, what they would do when they shared a meal together was they would observe the Last Supper. They would go to the Lord's table. They would break bread together. They would drink the wine in remembrance of what Christ had done for them. And in doing that, they would also renew their commitment to Christ, their, their commitment to share in his sufferings. To share in the sufferings of Christ was a real possibility when you're living under the authority of the government of ancient Rome. And this is becoming more of a possibility for us in the United States as uh, things are changing. Um, we may be sharing in the sufferings of Christ as well, but we do know that right now in other parts of the world there are believers who are suffering and they're suffering with joy because they're serving their God. And so these first believers were very committed to Christ uh, and, and therefore, they shared the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. 
And they also got together and shared those meals together because they were investing in each other's lives. And they were constantly reminding themselves uh, uh, of their call to share in the sufferings of Christ. And then the fourth thing we see in verse 42 is that the believers of the early church were devoted to prayer. Now probably what is meant here includes the prayers at the temple, uh, the keeping of, uh, in keeping with the law and the Jewish traditions. Uh, remember that these first Christians were Jews and they saw no inconsistency at all with the Jewish faith in becoming a Christian because after all, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for their sins. And so, uh, so it meant perfectly this is what Jesus had taught them and so uh, they were committed to God through the structure that their Jewish heritage and God's commands uh, had required of them but they also prayed for each other in the less formal way that we're accustomed to they they uh, they cared about each other they loved each other they, they and they wanted to pray for each other they wanted to lift one another up to the Lord and so they prayed for needs to be met uh, and, and some of them needed to pray for food. They didn't have enough food, maybe. Uh, some of them needed to pray uh, for their finances. Some of them needed to pray about relationships because maybe they were the only Christian in their family and the other members of the family didn't like that, and so on. All of the same kinds of things that we pray for. We pray for the relationships. We pray for the sick. We pray for the lost. These are all the kinds of things that we pray for today. These are real people who were the first Christians. Real people living in the real world, they had real concerns, and so they, they spent a lot of time in prayer together. Together. Now I think uh, this is uh, part of the attitude uh, uh, that they had is demonstrated in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. You see, uh, this is the attitude that they're turning to the Lord with. Uh, they understand that they need, to, uh, they need to allow the Holy Spirit to change them and to change their own desires. And so that when they pray, they know that, the, that their God is hearing their prayers. And so in their devotion to prayer, they're demonstrating their commitment both to God and to each other as they lift each other up in prayer. And so uh, that's verse 42. And the rest of the passage just simply elaborates on what we find in verse 42. In verse 43, everybody, believer and unbeliever alike, are filled. everybody's filled with awe. That is a reverential fear of God because they're witnessing with their own eyes an apostle lay hands on somebody and they're healed just like that. In fact, this is what happens right after our passage in chapter 3. And so they're witnessing these signs and wonders and they're, they're just filled with awe. Now, we don't have an apostle around today who can pray over us and heal us instantly. But we do have a God who still works in this world, amen? We do have a God who still does miracles. We do have a God who still protects people and heals people in supernatural ways. We have a God who answers our prayers. We have a God who changes our hearts, which I think is one of the, the greatest things that God could ever do. 
I think the human heart is the hardest substance in all of the universe. And yet God is able to change our hearts and and cause us to be people who love him. And you know, I think every one of us in this room probably uh, has a story about the hand of God in our lives. That's what we witnessed on uh, on November 11th and during the Give Thanks service when we heard many of you come up and give your testimonies. What you were saying is that God is here. He's at work in my life. He's in work in your life. Uh, the Holy Spirit is moving among us. You see, it's an exciting thing to be a Christian. It's an exciting thing. And then in verses 44 and 45, we see a deep sense of unity in Christ, a deep sense of community. You see, these, these believers were together. They were being drawn to one another like moths to a flame. And this is the same kind of attitude that we ought to have. Uh, you, you get the sense here that these, these first believers really couldn't stand the thought of being apart. When was the last time you felt that way about coming to church? <laughs> I hope it was this morning. But when was the last time that you couldn't wait to get to the Bible study? When you couldn't wait to be with a Christian friend? When you couldn't wait to, to stand here and, and worship with the worship band on Sunday morning? When you couldn't wait to hear what the Holy Spirit had to say to you? That you couldn't wait to see what the Holy Spirit is doing, not only within these walls, but outside of these walls? You see, we ought to have a great enthusiasm about God and this isn't an enthusiasm that we can just sort of create this isn't like the you know the football team at the beginning of the game and they do their little thing together and hoorah we're a team and let's go win the game that isn't what we're talking about here what this has to do is with your relationship with God that's where the enthusiasm begins is with your relationship with God. And then that enthusiasm grows as you connect with people in this room. And you begin to see God working in their lives too. And then we take the gospel that we hear every Sunday morning and we take it out there to the lost. And we begin to see hard hearts get soft. We begin to see people change. We begin to see them receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what we're talking about here. And so we should have joy in our fellowship. We should have joy in the, in the very idea of getting to be able to participate in the gospel. We should have joy as we participate in each other's lives. This is what was happening with those first believers. And the same thing should be true of us today. Well, in verses 44 and 45, we also see that they had all things in common, it says. Uh, that they even sold their possessions to distribute money uh, for those who were in need among them. Now, it's important for us to understand something. This is not describing communism. This is not communism. This is not community ownership where nobody really has any personal possessions. That's not what Luke is describing here. What he's describing is actually in keeping with the Old Testament idea, ideal of, of community, of sharing with the needy so that there will be no poor among you, as God uh, commands in Deuteronomy 15.4. 
This is believing, believers understanding that everything they have, God has given to them. And so, because they understand what God has done for them, namely, He sent His Son to hang on the cross to die for their sins, and He sent the Holy Spirit, so now they understand that what they have is meant to be a blessing to others. That, that they care about the people in their fellowship so much that they're willing to part with material possessions so that God can be glorified in other people's lives. This is real fellowship. This is describing real fellowship, real participation in the lives of one another, of fellow believers. And there's nothing mandatory about this. There's, there's no one standing over them telling, you, telling them that you have to do this. This is totally voluntary and motiv- motivated by love. And these are gifts that go beyond the tithe that we give on Sunday morning because these are sacrificial gifts. These are sacrificial gifts given to the glory of God for the blessing of those in the fellowship. And even when you look to the alarming story of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, and this is the man and wife who were struck dead by God after they withheld some proceeds when they sold some land. You see, their sin was in lying to the Holy Spirit, not in how much or how little they gave. This was all voluntary in the first place. But you see, Ananias and Sapphira had promised to give it all, but they gave less. And so they lied to God. They lied to the apostles and tried to keep some of it. And so here's the principle in all of this. We can only thrive as, as God's people, as, as the church, if we trust each other. We've got to build trust with each other. When there is unity that is based on that kind of trust, uh, when there is that sort of unity in trust, uh, this sort of oneness of heart and mind, this is when the Holy Spirit can begin to flourish among us. This is when the Holy Spirit begins to move. Have you ever been a part of a fellowship where there was distrust, where there was disharmony? Did the Holy Spirit move? Probably not. I've experienced some of that. Leslie has. And it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. God blesses us when we trust each other and when we have this kind of uh, commitment to one another, even so far as to make a financial sacrifice for a brother or sister. And this has happened within our fellowship. It's a beautiful thing. But you see, when there's, when there's distrust, what happens is our fellowship is weakened and our witness begins to fail. But you know, just as we learned last week, when we, when we love each other as Christ has loved us, when we love each other sacrificially, even including our finances, oh my, that's when our testimony glorifies God. This becomes our testimony. Our witness prospers when we love each other in that way. And so this idea of having all things in common is, is why we have a deacon's benevolence fund. It's a sort of business-sounding name. And, and so on. what this means, all this is, is this is a fund that, uh, that every month uh, from all of your tithes is contributed to. And it's available for members of the church if they need it. If there is a, a, a pressing need among us, uh, it's available. Now, it's not unlimited, of course, 
but it is available and many of you have been blessed by that in a time of great need and so uh, this is in perfect keeping with what we're seeing here in our passage uh, that we want to uh, uh, first and foremost above anybody else about uh, it, we want to help the members of our body first we want to take care of ourselves so that we'll, there will be no poor among us uh, so that uh, so that we can be a witness to the world and so if you have expressed a commitment to this body by becoming a member then this body is committed to you and this is one of the ways that we show that commitment well in verses 47 and in, in the beginning 46 in the beginning of 47 we see the daily life of the church they go to the temple and worship every day what if we came to church every day We'd probably get fired from our jobs, right? But, uh, but man, wouldn't that be glorious if we did? When I was at Otisago Bible Conference uh, over the summer during my sabbatical, we had church every day, and it was fantastic. It really was. It was great to be with God's people on a daily basis. But you see, these, new, these first believers, these new believers, they go to the temple and worship every single day. They go there not just to, to uh, not only to worship, but also to spread the good news. You see, uh, remember that the resurrected Christ himself told his disciples that the first people to receive the gospel would be the Jews. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 45. Uh, Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures and then in verse uh, 36 says uh, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and of course that means beginning with the Jews and so the concern of the first believers was to spread the gospel first among the Jews and what better place to do that than where all of the Jews gather right at the temple every single day there would be uh, thousands of, of Jews sometimes at the temple now later on in Acts the Holy Spirit makes it clear that non-Jews uh, can receive the gospel too and and uh, that's that's how I can be a Christian uh, but the first Christians uh, went where unbelievers were to preach the gospel it just makes sense, right, that we go where the people are who haven't heard the good news. And so where, where do we go? Where do we go? Well, we walk out that door. There's our mission field right away. We're instantly mission field. We hold events like stories in the park. And we get together with four other churches. We lock arms with other true believers. And we go down to the park and we proclaim the same gospel so that our community can hear it. So we've got to go where the unbelievers are. You know, traditionally, uh, in America, we've, say, we've tried to invite people to church. Well, brothers and sisters, those days are long gone. An unbeliever is not going to come to church, generally speaking. They're just not going to. Why would they? They think that what we believe is a fairy tale. They think that, that all this talk about this baby in a manger and all this stuff is just a, a really heartwarming, you know, fuzzy kind of story that just makes us feel warm inside, and, and that's it. They don't think it's true. They're lost. How could they think it's true? How could they think it's true unless we go to them with the gospel and tell them? 
and give them the opportunity to realize their sin and their their fallen stature before God, that they have no hope without Jesus Christ. How can they come to Christ unless we tell them that Christ is their Savior? He's the one who died in their place. So repent of your sins, as Peter says. Repent of your sins and come to Christ and let Him be the reason for your life. Let Him be your whole life because now the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and live in you and you are going to be able to glorify God. But we've got to go to them so that they can hear the Word of God so they can find out who Jesus is. And that begins with our commitment to God. It begins as we look up and we see what a mighty and loving, merciful and just uh, just God that we have. And then we love one another as Christ has loved us. We love each other sacrificially. That's when we go out into this world and we be the light of the world. He has sent us here to be his light so that we can do that. And so we have to go to them. We have to go to them so they can hear the gospel and receive it. I guarantee you that almost every person in this room who is a believer today had someone in particular who shared the gospel with you. You know, in Leslie's case, one of the things that brought her to the Lord was a simple question. She was wearing a a cross around her neck. She was in college. And, you know, she was a good person. She felt good about herself and so on. And, And this Christian came up to her and said, I see you're wearing a cross. Um, Are you a Christian? And she'd never really thought about it before. Wasn't that the question? Yeah. And, and that got her to thinking and praying and realizing that, no, she wasn't. She didn't really believe this gospel stuff, and so she started looking into it. And then other believers were speaking into her life and setting the example. And then one day at a Dallas Home concert, she received Christ. You see how this works? It means that we have to go to where the lost are, We have to build relationships with them, too. And we need to be able to speak the gospel to them. Just in simple ways. A simple question. I see you're wearing a cross. Are you a Christian? Some people are wearing them who are not. And so it's a valid question. Well, then in verse 46, we also see that they... These early believers met in each other's homes. They had the gift of hospitality. They opened the the doors of their homes to to other believers so they could come and fellowship. They they ate together. They shared meals together. There is nothing more intimate between friends than to share a meal together. And it's a way that we can use to build friendships as we visit over our hamburgers and hot dogs or whatever it is or our cup of coffee. And so uh, they were also had glad and generous hearts toward each other and also toward God. And then in verse 47, we see that they're continually praising God. This is a constant state of being for them, a constant state of joy and worship. And then the people who are looking in from the outside, 
They're seeing all of this. And they're seeing their good conduct in the world. And they're looking on them with favor. With favor. Now I think this is something that, that uh, we have received from the town of Warrington. They look on favor on us because of what we're doing down in the park. Because they understand that it's good for the town. It, you know, at the very least, it's an economic thing. It make, gets more people to stick around and buy things in town. Uh, but of course, they also see that we're making a positive impact. And so they support us. They, they, they allow us to use the park. We pay for it. We follow all the regulations and so forth. Uh, but they uh, cooperate with us as we uh, go down to the park uh, the other night and we're going to do this in the summer and some other things that we're, that we're going to do. And so people are watching us. People are watching the way that we conduct ourselves. And so it's very important that we conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of our calling. A manner that is worthy of our Lord. And then finally in verse 47... We see that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I think that is one of the most beautiful sentences in all of God's word. God was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think this is the, the pinnacle of this passage. You see, this is what happens when believers are committed to God through saving faith in Jesus Christ. This is what happens when believers are committed to each other, when we love each other sacrificially as Christ has loved the church. This is what happens when we in turn, because of what our Lord has done for us, because of his love for us, that, that we're committed to reach out to the lost with the very same good news that saved us. And when we do that, amazing things happen because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of, of the Holy Spirit working through our willingness and our availability to do as God calls us to do. And what happens is that lost souls are saved. People are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And instantly, the very moment that they become a believer, they are instantaneously our brothers and sisters. And we are one. We are one because of Christ. John, in the beginning of his gospel, in chapter 1, and he tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so on. And he tells us that that Word came and dwelt among us. And then here's what he says next. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God does this work, but he uses us to do it. You see, this is what happens when we are fully committed to our God through Jesus Christ and our commitment to each other and to, to our commitment to sharing the good news that has saved us. And these three commitments are the mark of a true church, the one mark taken together. We've got to take all three of these. We cannot just choose one or choose two like a potluck dinner. That isn't what this is. We have got to be all three of these things. This is what our God is looking for from us.
And so you see, we can't choose to be a people committed to God, but not to each other. It just doesn't even compute in God's mind. In fact, in First or Second John, I forget where it is, uh, he writes that one who hates his brother is the Lord, is not of God. When we love our brothers and sisters, and when we're committed to sharing the gospel and through our commitment to God, that's when we become the church that God wants us to be. We cannot choose to be a part of the church because we like the people, but not so much the gospel. We can't uh, come here uh, for the warm fuzzy of our relationships and gloss over the difficult parts of the apostles' teaching. It doesn't work that way. We need to receive Christ for all he is. We need to receive our Lord for all he is. We must not choose to be uh, a people uh, that leave witnessing uh, up to other individuals and other churches because the gospel was meant to be shared. We don't put a light under a bushel, do we? We let it shine that everybody might see. And so we cannot we cannot just pick and choose from this list. We must be all three of these things. And let me share with you from my own experience why this is true. Because I've seen what happens in my own experience with my own eyes when we decide to do away with one of these three legs of a, of a stool, if you will. The whole thing comes crashing down. When I was in college, I was a part of an incredibly vibrant, wonderful, loving Christian fellowship. Uh, we, we met every Saturday night uh, for, for a meeting. It was InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And then we even had a house. It wasn't a fraternity. There were no rules and regulations. The only requirement is that you be a follower of Christ to be able to live in this house. And so I lived in it for three of my four years while I was at, at school. And we did everything that we just saw in this passage. We spent time together. We were devoted to, uh, to our scriptures. We, we were learning the apostles' teaching and, what we, and, the, and in the Old Testament too, the prophets and, and the, uh, the, the uh, stories that we find there as well. Uh, we were lifting each other up in prayer. We were caring for each other. We were even sacrificially giving for one another. It was everything that's in this passage. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. But then, a couple of the believers among us decided that going out into the community was all that important. Because you see, this was the, the philosophy behind our house, is that we would lift each other up, we would build each other up, so that we could go into the campus and be the light of Christ. But these believers said, no, no, we need to, we need to focus more on our relationships. It's all about our relationships. And they developed a very warped idea of what unity is, where things became mandatory, and we had to be 100% unanimous about everything. And one night during a flood, I wanted to go and help uh, some people in the next town whose basement was flooding. They were poor. They couldn't afford new appliances and all those things. And I knew that, that we had a car. We can get there. I don't care who comes with me. I'm going. Oh, but my goodness, that raised a big fuss because not everybody wanted to go. And so there was this warped idea of what unity had to be. 
and everything became so inwardly focused that we forgot about the people outside the walls of our house. And they stopped dropping by and we lost our testimony. And what happened within a couple of years is the Christian fellowship on that campus disintegrated. And for the next 10 years, I don't know if there was any Christian fellowship on that campus. This is what happens when we, when we lose sight of who we are called to be. We are called to be people who are devoted to God, who are completely, fully committed to our Lord Jesus Christ, to the apostles' teaching, to, to everything that we find in Scripture. We are called uh, to be a people that cares for one another because we are one in Christ, because we are brothers and sisters. So yes, those relationships are important, but all of that is so that we can go out that door and witness to the greatness of our God. And there should, be, there should be an incredible enthusiasm about this. Because let's just think for a moment why we should be enthusiastic. Christ has saved us. We are no longer under the wrath of God. And not only that, He sent us the Holy Spirit. And so now we can live in a way that brings glory to Him. We can bring glory to our God as we study His Word. We can bring glory to God as we build relationships within this room. We can bring glory to God when we go out there and we tell people how great our God is. And, and, and we do that by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to convince anybody. We're just sharing the good news. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, that's when we'll begin to see the Holy Spirit moving among us. And that's when church is going to be so exciting. When we can begin to get a grasp of how great God is and how great a thing that he has done for us. This isn't an academic exercise. We don't come here on Sunday morning to learn some facts. We come here on Sunday morning to get closer to him and closer to each other. So then we can make our family bigger because the very moment that anybody receives the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are family and we are one in him. God does amazing things through us. He already is. I don't mean to give the impression that we're not, but there's so much more. Pastor John has been saying that over and over about prayer. There is so much more, brothers and sisters. And I want to be a part of that. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so let's be a church uh, that, that is the gospel in action. Let's be a church uh, where people are changed. And let's be a church where we changed people are worshiping the God who has changed us. Let's be a church that is ministering to each other in Christ. And let's be a church that is carrying the light of his gospel into the darkness. That's what it means for us to be brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Let's pray and then we'll go to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for what you have done for us. I thank you that you have drawn us to yourself, that we belong to you. 
And therefore, we are one in you. We are brothers and sisters. Oh, Lord, I pray for our our church. I pray, Father, that you would uh, uh, convict us where conviction is due. I pray that you would uh, help us all to love you more and to be more committed to you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be more committed to one another and that you would teach us to love each other sacrificially in the same way that our Lord has loved us. And I pray, Father, I pray that you continue to to, uh, give us the ability and the guts to go beyond these walls and to proclaim Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.